0: a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Houston. In the programme this week, the New Zealand sprint cycling team are on top of the world at the World Champs in Columbia. Rally driver Hayden Padden finally gets his break on the World Rally Championship scene. We evaluate New Zealand's Winter Olympics effort in Sochi, and who'll be the leading contenders in the Trans-Tasman netball competition, which starts this weekend. And 30 years after winning the inaugural New Zealand Ironman, Scott Molina's back. It is!
1: These two riders now head-to-head, Dawkins trying to win this one for New Zealand. Who's going to take it on the line? Oh, it's very, very close and I think New
0: Zealand might have taken it. New Zealand have taken it. 42.840, it's a gold medal for New Zealand. They got it back, somehow they pegged it back in the last 2.50. The New Zealand cycling team's on top of the world after winning the men's team sprint title at the World Track Champs in Colombia on Thursday. Ed Dawkins, Sam Webster and Ethan Mitchell beat Germany by just over four one-hundredths of a second to win the title. The sprint team trailed Germany to each split, but a strong finish from Dawkins hauled them back in the final lap, although it took a toll on Dawkins.
2: Oh, I think I went blind during that two-fifth, yeah. Well, I've gone blind in one eye. I think just just gone a bit deeper I there, I might have burst a blood vessel in my eye. i got a spare one. I felt, it felt bloody awesome, mate. Like, I've been having trouble with my start all week. I've been being left for dead by Ethan and Sam that really got over the first half lap. And, uh, and it sort of all came together today and just pulled one out of the bag and, and then pulled it out again in the final and they ripped, ripped Germany apart.
0: Did you have any sense of how close it was or any idea where the Germans were?
2: No, I didn't have any idea. I'm glad I didn't have any idea because by the sounds of it, it was bloody close coming to the finish and it it might have um, unnerved me a wee bit, but it's good to be in the dark about that kind of stuff when it's that close.
0: So you knew you just had to ride and ride for all you were worth?
2: Yeah, I knew that we put our best performance down and came out on top in the first round. So if we did that again, then... The likelihood would be the same, but it was so much closer in the final.
0: It sounds as though everything simply clicked.
2: Yeah, I think we all put out personal best for our laps of retention, and we've run together so much that it's almost like a match, sure, you know. So um, it all came together well, and we missed well, and but it's not just yeah, it's not just three on the on the track. Our reserve mate was here, he's, and um, he's been pushing it all all season and all the training camp, making it hard, you hard to get into the team, and, and Simon as well, so it's definitely a team, it's not just about the three that ride, about the five that make up that world champion jersey.
0: That's New Zealand team sprints rider, Ed Dawkins, and the coach of the team is Dale Cheatley.
2: We're stoked, you know, I'm proud of all the riders, I'm proud of all the staff, and, and uh, the hard work's all, all paid off. Right. You've got to take your head off to Eddie Dawkins, uh, that last lap was, was fantastic, but you can only produce a lap like that when your two teammates are in front of you. You've done the job as well, and um, that's what happened tonight.
0: How did you feel watching it unfold?
2: Yeah, you go through an emotional rollercoaster to be <laughs> uh, you Just a little bit of, uh, a little bit of everything, and um, but right now, a lot of, a lot of pride. A lot of pride to, uh, to be involved with this with group, and uh, a lot of pride to be in New Zealand and hearing that national anthem and the rainbow jersey.
0: As you were watching that last lap, when you saw how close it was, I know you can't have been confident, but did you feel that things were coming together?
2: To to be fair, when when, when you're on, you're on. And uh, you can see it all unfold in front of you. And uh, the way Ethan went out of the blocks, the way Sam delivered Eddie, the way Eddie was coming down that back straight, it was a great team effort. And uh, with half a lap to go, I I was pretty confident.
0: I suppose, in a sense, it can't be a big surprise because... New Zealand's gone bronze, silver, now gold in, in the past three years.
2: Well, that's right. You know, yeah, I suppose that shows good progression, doesn't it?
0: So the program's obviously on course?
2: Uh, yeah, we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty happy with the way the program's developing now, and we're really excited to be moving up to our, our home base in Cambridge um, to, to, to keep progressing.
0: I was talking to New Zealand track cycling coach Dale Cheatley. Rally driver Hayden Paddon has become the first New Zealander to secure a professional contract to compete in the World Rally Championship. The 26-year-old has been signed by Hyundai Motorsport to contest seven out of the 13 events on the 2014 calendar. With its long-time co-driver John Kennard, the pair will start the season at the Rally of Italy in June. Alex Coogan-Reeve spoke to Padden after the announcement and asked how the partnership
1: with Hyundai came about. We did get excited about the whole idea when they first announced uh, 18 months ago that they're going to be involved in the World Championship, um, and then, particularly through the latter part of last year, we had a lot of talks, a lot of negotiation between our management and, and Hyundai, and, and that coupled with the results that we had last year in the World Championship, um, both in the Skoda and the World Rally Car, um, helped to put it all together. So you know, it's, it's been in the wings for the last four or five months, and it's you know been sitting on it for a couple of months now.
3: You've made it no secret that this has been in golf for a goal for for a very long time were you always confident that you'd get there or were there times where you thought man this is a lot of money and a lot of hard work and it might not happen? There's
1: certainly been times where you've looked at yourself in the mirror and you go like right, how are we going to get ourselves out of this hole um, but you know, at the end of the day this has been my life ever since I was a kid, um, I don't know of any other way of life so we've always just found ways to get around things and surely there's been challenges but that's made it even more rewarding to get to this point now and uh, to think four years ago people said we, we couldn't do what we were doing even in the first year um, to, to fund it and to now get through four years and to get this opportunity is a, a huge uh, repayment for everyone that's had faith in us um, and everyone that's taken the risk on us Just taking a bit of that uh,
3: number eight wire Attitude at times to get
1: funds and things like that. Oh yes, it would have been uh, very easy to give up a long time ago. But um, you know, myself and my family and uh, all our supporters, and directors of the company, you know, we've, we've stuck at it, um, and, and things have just fallen in place. And you know, this whole Hyundai thing coming into the sport this year is is probably perfect for us. If they come in a year later, it probably would have been a year too late for us. Um, so the time is absolutely perfect. So uh, yeah, it's just fantastic to be in one of the, the i twenties. Is it sort of exciting
3: to be involved in something completely new so you get to work with the team sort of from the ground up and um, be involved with all of that as well?
1: Oh, most certainly, like, um, they make no secret that they're learning this year as well, they're building a new car, new team, everyone in the team this year has come from some other background or something completely new, so it's a perfect environment for us to come into, build with the team, learn with the team, develop with the team, and, uh, um, while this year will be important to also get results in that, it will also be important to build the relationships with the team, become part of the family, to then hopefully continue with them long term. So is the deal you've got with them? is it a long-term
3: thing, or is it just for this year and reassess? How does that work?
1: Uh, yeah, at this stage it's for this year, then to the reassess for 2015. Um, between us and the team we all have certain targets and objectives um, which we'll, we'll be meeting, which will be the goal to meet. Um, and of course they won't be to go out and win, it will be to, to, to begin with the learn, and then throughout the year show progression. Um, we have some very, very competitive and fast teammates, so in the latter part of the season we certainly want to be getting closer to them.
3: Is it nice to have this opportunity with a team that will allow you to learn rather than
1: expected to go out there and compete at the highest level from day one? It's a huge pressure off the it was a huge weight off the shoulders by having a a full programme, or a a good programme like when you're doing a one-off event like we did last year at the end of the year, it was all or nothing on that one rally if uh, a wheel nut fell off on the first stage it was all gone sort of thing, whereas with us we know we have seven rallies we know we don't have to go out in the first rally and prove our point we can build up to it we know we've got a good testing programme, we've got all the resources behind us to do what we need to do so we've got no excuses basically to to perform
3: And uh, you think it's a realistic goal to Go for a world championship in a couple of years' time.
1: That, that's why I'm in the sport. That's why we've been uh, battling tooth and nail over the last few years. Is because you know myself and the people around us believe that we we can fight for the world championship ultimately. So. Now that we're in a world rally car, uh, it's a three year plan from here to, to be in that position so the next two years are going to be critical to, to 2016 hopefully being the big year.
4: So with the seven rallies that you're doing this year, what was behind those specific ones, that those are the ones you're
1: doing? Uh, well basically with the team being new, they've, they've obviously been working very hard to even just get two cars to the start of the championship. To introduce a third car is going to require a lot more work obviously not just for building the car but extra personnel to run the car, logistics and everything so by bringing it in later in the year it's given them a bit more time just to get on their feet a little bit, set it it all up and then uh, then by us having a third car there it actually helps the team speed up their development where they've got two cars on rallies um, like we saw in Monte Carlo if they both retire then they've got no cars left whereas if they have three cars on the rally it gives them one extra chance to get a car through the rally, get more data get more mileage and, and hopefully learn more have you had much time in the I-20? Stuff, uh, very, very briefly, just a, a small stint in Germany, just uh, pretty unrepresentative un- un- of a rally stage or anything, but it was, uh, it was nice to drive it. It's uh, certainly a, a very nice car, well-balanced, um, and the, the platform is there for it to be a very good car. So, uh, But, you know, they are early in development, they've only been developing the car for six months, um, which in rally terms is is still very, very young. Um, So I think as the the year progresses and every rally progresses, the car and the team and everything will certainly become very competitive. That's Hayden Patton talking to Alex Coogan-Reeves.
0: The Winter Olympics in Sochi concluded this week with the New Zealand team improving on their performance from four years ago, but still failing to win an elusive medal. New Zealand had four top eight finishers and 11 top 16s, with skier Jossie Wells falling just short of medal, finishing fourth in the half pipe. However, the team's athletes were criticised for their attitude throughout the Games. High Performance Sport New Zealand invested over $6 million in the team's campaign and will be responsible for determining just how much they get for the 2018 Games in South Korea. Alex Coogan-Reeve spoke to the Chief Executive of High Performance Sport New Zealand, Alex Bowman, about the team's efforts.
5: It was a a credible performance. Um, It's pleasing to see that we had uh, four top-eight finishes and 11 top-16 finishes. Um, In Vancouver, we didn't have any uh, top-eight finishes. So I, I think there's a fairly good progression in the last four years. Uh, unfortunately, we, we didn't get a medal, but we are uh, quite close with uh, Jossie coming fourth and uh, Janina coming uh, fifth, so I think it's satisfactory. Uh, still, I think it shows us that we have some work to do uh, for Korea in 2018.
3: Was that performance in line with where you s- expected the athletes to finish and where you targeted them to finish?
5: I think it was uh, really pretty close. Um, The target was one medal and and four top eight finishes, so we got the four top eight finishes, but unfortunately I didn't get the medal. I think what what is pleasing is that uh, we have some young athletes that are coming through um, the pathway, and that bodes well for for Korea. So um, we missed the target of a medal, but we got the four top eight finishes.
3: And you mentioned work-ons. What would you like to see the athletes improve on looking ahead to 2018?
5: Well, I think there's a, there's a few things. Obviously, um, you know, uh, these were new events for 2014. I think in 2018, uh, they will uh, become uh, more competitive because more countries uh, will be participating or putting emphasis on on those events. I think um, you know, just just making sure that we have a, a truly integrated program approach, which has uh, high quality coaching, um, world leading performance support and uh, and structure. So it, it's kind of shifting that um, extreme culture to uh, a true high-performance culture. And we've made good progress, I think, in the last two years, but I think we still have uh, a way to go. And that's not unusual with with these extreme sports, uh, I still remember in Canada with uh, Ski Cross, when it was first introduced uh, to the Games in 2010, uh, You know, in 2006 um, it took about four years to really develop that uh, high-performance culture. and um, So that's what I think uh, needs to, to be worked on. I think it's uh, all about um, the quality of, of coaching and really making sure that we identify talent early as well.
3: Do you feel like the program's well-resourced enough to get the quality coaches and actually help the athletes succeed?
5: Well, I think it's probably too early to tell. I think really we need to do the debrief, and um, then uh, Snow Sports will present their four-year plan moving forward, and um, we'll take a look at what is the potential. I think for the last cycle, uh, the the investment uh, was was probably right, uh, but really for the new cycle, I'm not sure, and I wouldn't like to preempt the the review or the debrief.
3: And while the games were going on, there was a bit of criticism. From media in New Zealand about the the way the athletes were behaving, treating it like a holiday, mm. acting like they didn't care. What was your view on that and and their attitudes?
5: Well, you know, I think it's a it's a different. Um a different kind of athlete that that we're dealing with, and and uh, you know they they put their uh, their bodies at risk every every time they go go down that hill, and uh, you know I, I think there is uh, certainly a, a fun element, but um, on the exterior. But I know that the athletes, when when they didn't perform well, were were quite disappointed, um, and and unfortunately we we did have some injuries as well, even though this is a pretty injury. Uh, prone sport, the park and pipe, uh, we are unlucky with Christy Pryor um, obviously falling in a training run and hurting herself and not being able to go into the semifinals and then obviously byron wells as, as well so it 's uh, seeing how we can manage that more proactively moving forward so uh, i I think that um, you know the, the general population have to understand that um, these events are are are, are quite different. I do think there is a strong uh, work ethic. Um, I do think the athletes are truly disappointed when, when they don't perform well, and that comes back from, from the village, from um, you know, the um, chef de mission as, as, as well. So um, I think we just have to take, it, to take it with a grain of salt and, and to make sure we have a balanced approach.
3: Do you think in future that might be something that athletes would be spoken to about just the way they're viewed by other people?
5: Well I think it's it's obvious an element but again I, I wouldn't like to preempt the the debrief. I think uh, all this um, information should really come out in, in the debrief and then uh, I'm assuming that there'll be some recommendations put forward in terms of how do we actually strengthen the program moving forward.
3: With our Summer Olympics team there seems to be quite a high standard for selection in terms of whether they are actually capable of winning a medal. Do you think that they're the Winter Olympic athletes are held to that similar standard or do you think the standard's
5: a bit lower? Uh, I think the standards, the criteria are relatively the same. Um, really we're we're targeting uh, top 16 finishes. Uh, this time around um, it was really making sure that uh, athletes could finish in the, the 50% or the top half of, of the field which was very close to top 16 standard and then it's really up to the uh, New Zealand Olympic Committee to uh, decide uh, in the future what the selection criteria would be, but I think the goal is to have almost identical standards for both winter and summer, and, and we're pretty uh, close to that now. There's been a huge progression uh, from from Vancouver uh, to these games, where the selection criteria was was quite tough.
0: That's High Performance Sport New Zealand chief executive Alex Bauman talking to Alex coogan Reeves. Much is expected from one of the lesser-performing teams of the ANZ Netball Championship, with this year's competition getting underway this weekend. That team is the Wellington-based Central Pulse. Since the competition began in 2008, the Pulse have twice finished bottom of the 10-team ladder and last year improved to fifth, their highest finish yet. They've built a strong squad over the past couple of seasons and recruited Silver Fern Irene van Dyke and England international Ama Agbiza in the off-season giving them a squad with plenty of international experience when added to the likes of Jolene Henry, Katrina Grant and Donna Wilkins. I spoke to former Silver Ferns coach Yvonne Willering about how she sees the Trans-Tasman competition unfolding in 2014
6: not just New Zealand team, but also the Australian teams, a lot of player movement, so it would be really hard to even try and gauge, you know, where teams are likely to sit on the competition ladder. But, yeah, Pulse have always had the expectations. I think unforced errors have cost them a little bit like fever, you know, that we expected them to get better. But, um, no, I'm expecting big things from Pulse this year. They've got Irene Van Dijk and Donna Wilkins. It's a tried combination from way back, so that'll be an interesting combination. And at the other end, they've now got the import player... Tamara She's not new to New Zealand competition, so uh, yeah, it's now a question of how they put it all together.
0: And of course, the magic have, have lost a couple of players, and they've lost the coach.
6: Yeah, yeah, and that's going to be really interesting. They've got a lot of young players now uh, in their lineup. Um, I think Laura Langman leaving was a big deal because I think often you hear us talking about, you know, it's the way the ball's brought through the midcourt that is, is what it depends on. So, yeah, they've that. The fact they've got a new coach um, is also part of it. The fact that actually, that she's an Australian, because are they going to be trying to play the Australian style? Certainly defensively they would not want to do that because both the and Casey Kapua, tremendous reliance on them and their players, rather than doing tight one-on-one defence, they want to go out for intercepts, and I do not expect to see that change.
0: It's going to take a fair bit of adjustment too, isn't it, whenever, whenever a new coach comes in?
6: Yeah, and also don't forget, oh, you know, definitely, but also, like, their shooting combinations different, so yeah, everything's the whole mid-court is, is different, you've got, whilst, you know, you've got a Grace Rasmus, and that may be an experienced player, as is Courtney Tairi, um, yeah, it's still a question of how they gel together, and really, uh, the pre tournament they had in Melbourne really counts for nothing, I mean, they, they weren't what I call realistic games, because I think every coach probably would have just put players out on court, so I think most teams will be saying they've had limited preparation.
0: The Mystics, well, I suppose things can only get better for them this year, surely?
6: Well, yeah, they should have been better last year, if you have a look on paper, the the people that they had. Um, Yeah, Langman will obviously provide a lot of strength through that mid-court, and again, she's got a shooting combination, Silver Ferns combination, so really they should have no excuses this year.
0: Have you been able to maybe, well, any idea why things went so awry for them last year? I mean, I know they had injury problems at the start of the season, the likes of Anna Harrison.
6: Um, yeah, that's really not for You know, I mean... My information would be through gossip And it's not a good thing to, to sort of dwell on that um, But, you know, I think that it's certainly Team understanding comes into it And also everyone taking responsibility And, yeah, with the injuries And that, that is in part, you know, as a fair call You know, because it changes the dynamics of the team And, uh, you know, it, if you have a look at it Not every team has what I call 12 players to rely on um, So, you know, I think that the Mystics Certainly were reliant on certain individuals Anna Harrison, this big expectation expectations on her obviously coming back into it so yeah it'll be interesting to see how they how they fare on the court. Uh,
0: the Southern Steel y- your thoughts there?
6: Yeah still a tremendous reliance on Fowler um, and I think that, that won't change so um, yeah I, I think they're a team that doesn't make too many mistakes um, probably I would see other teams ahead of them on the ladder this year
0: And the tactics it would seem uh, in line for the Wooden Spoon again?
6: Um. <laughs> Yeah, it's a difficult one. Obviously, they've got, um, you know, now they've got Kumwinda. So it'll be really interesting to see how she slots into the combination, you know, in the shooting circle, probably with Anna Thompson or or Juliana Naupu. Um, And you've got Jess Moulds now in the back, but they've been tinkering um, all the time. Yeah, I probably don't see them sitting at the top of the competition ladder halfway through.
0: The Australian teams, I suppose, the West Coast Fever are an interesting proposition, aren't they? Because they've picked up the likes of Nat Medhurst to head, head, head over to Perth.
6: Yep they're a team that they've had expectations in the past and I think the one thing they've always been guilty of is too many unforced errors like they've stuck in there, they held it together with teams and then one quarter basically they blow it apart so yeah with the likes of now Chelsea Pittman and Natalie Medhurst in particular being able to feed Bassett again an Australian combination so no excuses there and uh, I think Brazil is, and, you know, is really growing in strength from game to game you know, from season to season so yeah, I, I think that um, you'll see them um, and not just upsetting teams. I think they're going to be there in their own right.
0: What about the other uh, other teams? I mean, do, do you look, look at those and think it's maybe a little more even across the Australian franchises?
6: Uh, I do because there's a, there's been a lot of of player movement with them um, as well. And again, I wouldn't take too much notice of the preseason. Like Swifts, I don't believe that they're probably going to be right up there. Um, I suppose uh, Thunderbirds have now got the Borrego-Bell combination available to them. Uh, That combination is a very good combination. Um, Firebirds, um, again, defensively, probably not as strong as they they could be. So um, I still think that uh, the Vixens will be a team to beat uh, from the Australian sector, as would be the Thunderbirds.
0: I suppose another variable, possibly, New South Wales Swift's a male coach.
6: Yeah, he's been around, though. He was the assistant coach, and he's been around you know, for quite a period of time, so not unknown to them. But if you have a look at it, he's, um, he's taken on board quite a few assistant coaches. Uh, Monia Girard's one of them. She's a defensive coach. So, you know, what he doesn't know, he's very, very good on uh, game stats. I know him from, from way back, and he's very good on stats and things like that. So, obviously, he's bringing in personnel to really deal with the specialist areas out on court.
0: I, I realise he's obviously been around and acted in the assistant's role it's still I suppose still breaking new ground though isn't it
6: oh at the top level I mean there's lots of men coaches uh, around now you look at it in the club scene so yeah I suppose it is uh, taking a step up for for the guys
0: something though that netballers or the netball fraternity looks at and doesn't see it as such a big issue but presumably people from the outside may, may well do
6: yeah, and it's probably more about having a feel for the sport. Um, you know, but you can say, well, he hasn't played it at any level, which obviously he hasn't. Um, so, yeah, there's always, there's always that, and that is why, like I said, he's taken on other people on board. So he's, had certain, he's got certain skills, and he's going to make sure that any weaknesses you know, in his coaching uh, sort of <laughs> strengths, he's, um, he's going to use players for that. Um, yeah, but you'll always have that. Um, you know, but you could say the same with male umpires. You know? they, a lot of them haven't played the game, and you think, well, do they have a feel for the game? Well, actually, I think we have some quality men umpires around
0: Playoff predictions? Are you uh, maybe thoughts on which New Zealand teams might make the playoffs? Uh, I
6: would go with Mystics and Pulse at this stage, but whew, you know, wait until, like round one is basically survival. I think that every team's looking um, not just at themselves but at the opposition because really it's quite a lot of unknown uh, teams around because of all the player movement. So I don't think you can really start telling, predicting until it's halfway through the competition. But on paper, certainly Mystic and Pulse must be there, um, you know, from the New Zealand franchises.
0: I was talking to former Silver Ferns coach Yvonne Willering. This weekend marks the 30th anniversary of the New Zealand Ironman, with the event's first winner, Scott Molina, among the 1,750 competitors from 58 countries, competing in Topo on Saturday. The American-born New Zealander, known as the Terminator in his race days, won the inaugural event in 1985 and went on to win the Ironman World Championship in Hawaii in 1988. Melina is one of eight originals from the first race in Auckland, a group which also includes 69-year-old Aucklander Mike Ramsey, who's the only person to have completed all 29 New Zealand events. I spoke to Molina, who's now 54, and asked him just what keeps him going.
4: I live and breathe the sport. I do a lot of races. I, I coach uh, triathletes for a living, and um, but I haven't done an Ironman for a few years. The last one I did was in Hawaii in 2010, but I have done other triathlons.
0: So, obviously, fitness-wise, it's not a huge... Well, I say this uh, liberally in the sense it's not a, not a huge stretch for you.
4: Well, it, it's getting bigger uh, all the time. I, it seems that my body just doesn't want to cooperate, really. Uh, I have parts that are just crumbling to bits, you know. <laughs> so so that's the main issue is I, have, I always seem to have one injury or another if I really push it and try to get really fit. Um, so I just... I'm just learning how to moderate my expectations uh and and so my fitness is a, is pretty good but uh you know I'm I'm, I'm no superman that's for sure age that's it's, it awful
0: there's not a lot you can do about it
4: <laughs> no there's not I I do I do everything I can though I work really hard at at trying to keep my body in good shape so uh so you know the, the fact that I can even start this thing is uh, I'm happy about that.
0: So have you got even more and more cautious as you've got older with that? I mean, presumably, are you talking diet? Do you? I mean, in a sense, are you more, I suppose, pedantic about it than what you might have been when you were at your peak?
4: Yeah, I, I well, I, I guess I just have to be more vigilant. You know, massage, stretching, uh, rehabilitative exercises, prehabilitative. You know, so to prevent injuries. You know, all that sort of thing, diet included. Um, yeah, I have to pay more attention to it. You know, if I slack off for a month or two, then I, I end up getting some sort of chronic injury that can hang around for months and months.
0: You still get the the buzz from it.
4: I do, I do. It's it's still a, a, a massive challenge. You know, uh, like I said, I haven't I haven't ran a marathon or did an Ironman since 2010. So it's you know it's not an everyday thing. It's a very rare occurrence that I actually. Front up and try to get to an Ironman, and and the thought of trying to do it well, uh, you know, and not and just do a decent job of it. Uh, yeah, I do. It does give me butterflies.
0: You mentioned there a point that I'm sure a lot of elite athletes must go through if they if they keep going. How do you cope with what you knew you once could achieve and can no longer do so?
4: That's a hard part. I, I, um, on one hand, I'm good at, at looking at um, at the old guys uh, around me and, and people, you know, people my age, uh, what they're, what normal folks are capable of or not capable of. And, and, and then I feel pretty good about it. And then I, and I think, oh my God, I might be out there two hours longer than I, I was, uh, when I was racing professionally. So, you know, it's a huge difference. So I don't know. I'm, I, I think, I guess I'm getting a little bit better at accepting that, you know, at 50 plus, you know, you slow down and, uh, but but I do savor it more. I, I I definitely each each one that I do now, I I tend to I tend to savor more and feel feel really good about. It. I feel much better about finishing them these days than I ever did. Uh,
0: I suppose, in, in a sense, Ironman, like like some sports, but maybe even more so. Iron Ironman, it's that battle against yourself, anyway.
4: Yeah, it is. I mean, we do have age group competitions, and I and I I know all the all the top guys in my age group, you know, and so. So there is some, you know, there is a competitive element that's very hard to shake uh, in these things. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite ready to let that part of the sport go.
0: When you catch up with those guys, is it a bit glory days or is it current that you talk about?
4: It's almost always current. Um, no, I, I can't remember the last, last conversation I had about the glory days. Uh, it would have been with media, never with a, never with my friends or my fellow competitors.
0: What are you looking forward to the most about this one?
4: Just sharing the experience with my my fellow people. Uh you know, I I feel like this is sort of a a get together. It's almost like an AA meeting, you know. Uh you you you're out there with people that you can relate to and you know, they can relate to you. You know, we're all going through the same things. We live the same sort of lives and and we all come together, you know, once a year maybe twice a year for the for a, for a big meeting, big Palau and uh and then you go back to your to your daily life and you may have a little bit of contact with with these sorts of people but not really a lot you know and so so it's it's just a, just a sort of a, a special get together with people like like me you know and uh and go out and, and all share what we do
0: at 15 to 20 hours a week it does sound like an addiction
4: yeah it's definitely you know i i think there's going to be a triathlon anonymous uh organization popping up soon uh, and it's going to have a lot of a lot of clients that <laughs> want to want to wean themselves off this sport.
0: Thoughts just on the general triathlon scene in New Zealand now. I mean, it would appear things aren't quite as rosy as they they once were.
4: It's changing. It's changing a lot. I I think um, it's becoming a more age group sport. Uh, you know, and 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 uh, it's, that age group side of it is more like a fun run sort of attitude. You know, it's a it's less competitive, less hardcore. Um, but I think you're seeing that in, in almost all participation sports, like marathon running is a good example. The attitude has changed a lot from a serious undertaking to just a thing that you go out and do or a bucket list thing, you know, and, and, and how fast you go doesn't come into it. But at the elite side, it's um, the sport's certainly at a crossroads. uh seems to be the corporate sponsorship has, has just fallen away dramatically, and I'm not really sure why.
0: The talent, do you think it's there or, or is it not being I mean, the next Hamish Carter or the next Bevan Doherty, I mean, are we going to be at that level again?
4: I think so, but I think I think we're looking in the wrong place. You know, the current crop of of people who are already in the high performance program, the seniors like Bevan Doherty, you know, systems. There's a few guys that are that are in the program now, well Beverly, Bevan's moving out. But but, you know, they they're not gonna beat the Brownley brothers. They're not gonna win Olympic medals. And and so I think when we look to who might those athletes be, you know, we have to we have to look to the swim programs and the run programs for the for the top young talent that could be pulled into Triathlon. You know, the, the 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 type of talent that is required, unfortunately, is is the best runners in this country, the best swimmers in this country. You know, it's it's a very small talent pool in this country. It's a small country, and so we don't have enough talent to let the very best. A- athletes be in five different sports um you know the they're all all the sports are competing for that top top talent
0: I was talking to the inaugural winner of the 1985 New Zealand Ironman Scott Molina and back to defend their titles at this year's event as the men's defending champion Bevan Doherty and the last year's women's winner Meredith Kessler And that brings us to the end of the program for this week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now.
4: Tired of ads
0: barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free